Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, people, you know that sound. Welcome to another edition of Unfiltered, the Unfiltered Band. It is trade deadline season. We are counting down to August 2nd, where fans will either be happy with what they did, or let's be honest, 99% of them will be upset because none of their GMs did exactly what they had planned. And all hell has broken loose, as they said in Ghostbusters, because I know I'm dealing with a movie buff and who also is about the same age as me. Uh, you know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. To quote Ghostbusters <laughs> is pretty much uh, what the deadline is. We welcome in Sweeney Murdy. Sweet, I, I want to talk deadline with you, but I got to start with the, the Subway series. It's for especially for us who have covered it, I think. It's gotten stale over the years, right? It's, after they met in the World Series, it hasn't been the same. I yeah. wasn't there. And it's rare that off TV or the internet, you could feel an atmosphere that's not a postseason. Tell me if I'm mistaken. That seemed like the best atmosphere in the opening of this Subway Series that this series has had maybe since the World Series in 2000. Is that over-exaggerating? Um, it's pretty close. I think. I, I mean, I think the key is that this is literally the first time both teams have met when they're both in first place. It's never happened before. Um, even in the years when you're talking about 99, 2000, remember the Mets were running second to the Braves um, and got in through the wild cards. So they were never in first place together. And then you've gotten patches where, you know, they, like in 15, the Mets were good and the Yankees weren't. And in 06, uh, you know, the Mets were good. The Yankees were, I think, climbing out of a, out of a uh, bad start. Um, so, yeah, it's, it has. They haven't met in this uh, in the same situation ever. Which, yeah, I, I don't know that I, I I know how to rank the last. Yeah, it's difficult. Game, yeah, but, it's a feel thing. But at the beginning of the game, I think you're right because there's a, it was like you know Hagler Hearns in the first round, and you've got Judge and Rizzo hitting home runs, and you hear the Yankee fans go up, and then you have the Mets coming back, and you know. Uh, Alonzo with his double, he's pumping his fists on second base. This is the first inning of a game in July, right? And and you know this isn't, you know I've seen these guys, I've seen players do this in like eighth inning, you know ninth inning big hits. No, they don't do it in the first inning, right? So uh, and then the home run that Escobar hits, and he's rounding the base. He talks about later about feeling like he's in a World Series. You know, I I felt two ways about that. Like I love that he said that and he felt that, but I also want to pump the brakes a little bit because yeah. You know, you know, when you get to bigger, so slow down a little bit. Um, but I love the the fact that they're getting jazzed up by it. The park did feel different, even just going into the park yesterday. Uh, I think, you know, we, we anticipated sellouts uh, for, for both games. And I think you're going to anticipate the same thing next month at Yankee Stadium. Um, yeah, there's... There's just certain regular season series. And I think you always know that when you're the Yankees, you know, the Red Sox bring it out of you. And the Mets don't always because sometimes you're talking about, you know, a third place team or something like that. And this felt a lot different because both teams are where they are. Yeah, I, I hear you on Escobar. I think when I heard that and, you know, he's one of the more likable vets in the game, but he's played a lot of time in Minnesota before they were good yeah. in Arizona and has not played in a World Series. And I think that was to him. It's it, it, it kind of makes sense. You know what I mean? In his own mind, that that's probably as close as he's come. Yeah. The personalities, and I, I want to just follow up with this, because obviously Max Scherzer and, and Happy Birthday, he gets the birthday start um, in, in this series. You mentioned Pete Alonzo. The personalities 
right? Aaron Judge, who I know is, is a quiet, humble guy. Alonzo is also, but they're, they're larger than life in size, right? That helps too, doesn't it? Because if you had a lot of, you know, the Yankees have been at times over, you know, look, Paul O'Neill and Jorge Posada, for me on the outside, were always fun because there were a lot of guys on their P's and Q's on those Yankee teams. You wanted some outside of that. I think the personalities in this rivalry are a little bit more vocal than they normally are. Your point to Alonzo, who seems to be so emotional the way he plays. Yeah, yeah, and that certainly helps. It draws the fans out for sure. Um, I just think that, listen, you're talking about great players right now. Okay, You're talking about MVP caliber players. And I think that's, I think we sometimes forget that because I think when we look, we tend to look at a, at a baseball team, especially, and we talk about, um, you know, the, uh, the eighth place hitter and the guy that makes contact and the guy that, you know, you know, we, I, I did a show the other night with somebody and they're talking to me about, you know, listen, Jose Trevino and Isaiah kind of Falefa have made you know, amazing contributions and are really good players. But I, I, I think the, uh, it was almost insinuating that that's the difference between this. You know, listen, Aaron Judge is 38 home runs. Carlos Stanton, even with a couple of injured list stints, has over 20 home runs. Um, you know, these guys are hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And, you know, the Mets have Pete Alonso who's hitting the ball out of the ballpark and driving in runs. And, you know, that's when you have st- – it's it's still star driven, okay? I mean, mm-hmm. baseball is a little bit different because you you need and can highlight contributions from players all the way down. So it's not like you know basketball or football in those regards at times. But you you know you still need your stars to be stars. Every champion, you know, Tom Brady can't you know throw for 110 yards and three interceptions and have his team still win, you know. Okay, Aaron Judge can go 0 for 4 and his team can still win, but probably not a lot. You know, you you need your stars to perform. And the Yankees and Mets both have stars who are performing. Yeah, everybody loves Luis Soho. He's never had to buy a drink in, in New York, but that stuff happens in October, right? I mean, that's to me when those kind of stars and, and you know, Brady can make David Patton into something who the Giants released, but you can't do that as one player. Just ask Mike Trout, right, for the Angels. Uh, I, I want to talk about Let's start with the deadline with the King injury, which was obviously just so tough to take. Um, how much does – always you're looking for pitching depth, no matter what. But how much do you think that advanced things in terms of not just the starters like a Castillo, but depth in general maybe with multiple arms for the Yankees here as we get closer to the deadline? Yeah, I think it, you know, I think it was always going to be something they were going to look for, but King certainly puts it in a different light now. They have – there's uh, Ron Marinaccio pitched very well in Tuesday night's game, and he's been pitching really well. You know, this, you know, last year, probably at the end of – I'd say at the end of August, I asked somebody in the Yankees system, I said, tell me, a, tell me a guy in the minor leagues that, you know, for me to highlight that I haven't – you know, that, that's kind of off the beaten path, mm-hmm. that maybe I haven't, uh, I haven't talked about this year. And the name I was given was Ron Marinaccio. Uh, he was added to the 40-man roster at the end of the season, and you know he's gotten a chance this year to really. He's gonna get a chance to pitch bigger innings because of you know whether it's King or you know Chapman being ineffective, anything else. At this point, he's he's getting a chance to pitch in more you know high leverage spots and bigger innings. Um, and I, so far he looks he looks the part, and we'll see how he responds uh, as the season goes along. I mean, just really good. You know, I love. 
watching guys throw changeups because it's, you know, it's just fun to watch, you know, hit or flail. And, um, you know, I, I like, I like, you know, that's his out pitch. So it's fun to watch a guy like that. I kind of like him to Tommy Canely, the way he used to throw for the Yankees. Yep. Ago. yep. Um, it's, you know, right. Relievers rarely, you know, out pitchers rarely, Trevor Hoffman, I'm sorry. You're awesome. But it's, it's rare to see a relief pitcher have that as his out pitch. Right. Um, so, I feel like he's a he's a big factor. Jonathan Lewisaga, I thought, was going to be a guy who, you know, if the Yankees wanted to in the last offseason entertain trading Roldis Chapman to a team that, you know, needed bullpen help, I thought they could have and maybe should have done it because Lewisaga was ready to ascend to a closer role. He was that good last year. Um, fortunately for the Yankees, they didn't because, one, you know, Britain was hurt. And he was going to miss most of the year. Zach Britton is probably going to come back in September and actually, you know, can help here too. But, um, you know, Loisig ended up getting hurt for a, a good chunk of this season too. He's back now, and I think he's one of these guys that you have to look for. So this is a long way of me telling you that in light of Michael King's injury, Ron Marinaccio and Jonathan Loisig's emergence here again, very important. It doesn't totally – eliminate their need to go out and look for more help, which I think they will. Let's talk about uh, the sixth inning guy, Rolis Chapman. I, you know, I can't, <laughs> I, I, you know, you, you have to try and find value, right. And instill confidence. I remember years ago talking to, and, and I'm going to make a comp of, of a closer who was around a long time, but then kind of lost it. Although Fernando Rodney was like 80 years old and resurfaced uh, not too long ago, a couple of years ago with the nationals. But I remember talking to Joe Madden during the years where it seemed like they were always having to instill confidence to the public about Fernando Rodney blowing saves and how you do that. And for managers, it's difficult. I got to put him in a spot where he's going to succeed. What is that spot? I can't hide him. If I put him in down five runs, I could lose his confidence more because he knows he's at the bottom. How much is all of that really a, a huge problem for the Yankees now? And is this a scenario where we see him not even part of this scenario and story down the stretch as we look at the next few weeks here? I think they've actually tried to bring him into some of the lower leverage type of situations. And sometimes that's detrimental with these guys because they rely so much on the adrenaline of the situation that they're in. Um, the Yankees have, have played a lot of close games which means the low leverage situation for Rolls Chapman is down a run in the sixth inning. You know, not, okay, listen, it's two, you an inning. So. You need to get some outs, but you can't bring in your roll out all your high leverage guys. Um, I, and even if, Case, even if um, you're down four runs, you know, there's value in those innings because as a team, you know, you, you need somebody to pitch those innings so that you don't overwork your other guys, right? So now that's not what Chapman is being paid for, but there, you still have to, as long as you're in this spot, you still have to figure out how to get the value out of him. So you bring him into these situations that you're talking about. Um, it, it, it hasn't been consistent enough. He has a couple of, oh, okay, that was good. And then you're like, oh, boy. Um, really, you know, we made a, a lot of us made a very big deal about Garrett Cole and the adjustments he had to make last season uh, after the crackdown on Spider Tech, right? You know, 
nobody accused your oldest Chapman of doing anything, but you can draw the straight line from the crackdown last June to now and see the drop off in performance. Um, you know, that's anecdotal, but you know, it's, it, it looks real. So, um, I guess there's no way of trying to figure out how consistent he can perform for you right now. And as you're out there looking for other options, you know, um, you know, listen, you dealt taking calls and things for a long time about, you know, how teams react to their needs in April, May, and June. You don't fix problems in April, May, and June. You kind of band-aid them, but even if you have players that you don't think are going to be with you long-term, you're still rolling them out there in April, May, and June because you don't have, you can't just keep churning. That's you have right. To kind of move, you have to move with it until it's time to move. You have to jump when it's time to jump, not be, because you're just going to churn through more. Uh, injury just destroys everything. So you kind of got to roll along. It's the kind of situation with Joey Gallo. At this point here, yeah. Joey Gallo are not championship run. I'm saying that. The Yankees that even if they're on the they bury guys like that. You know, Jacoby Ellsbury and Dylan Batances were buried in 2017 in the postseason run. Um, Ellsbury was coming off a fantastic September and still had, you know, was, was nowhere near uh, the top of the order or center field when the playoffs started. Batances, who was so amazing for the Yankees for four years, had struggled in the second half of the season. Playoffs started, they didn't use him in big so that's me telling you that you can get all wired up about a Rolas Chapman and Joey Gallo coming into games or being a lineup in June and July. In October, they're not going to be in those spots because you know they see exactly what we see. And you're you're just getting to a point now with the deadline where you can start to make those moves to jump and figure out what your roster looks like. And you have to react to what the guys are doing at the time. I think of the San Francisco Giants. One year, Pablo Sandoval is a star, and the next year, he's hitting eighth. One year, Lincecum's your game one, and then he's coming out of the bullpen, yeah. right? So you never know what the roles are going to be. But to your point, I used to say, like, with the Phillies, with their division titles every year, the Joe Blantons of the world, right? Those guys, those fifth starts, they get you the division titles. Even if they're not on the roster or the last guy, they are a huge part of it. Like, when they give the rings out, those guys always have value. My question is, do you think the Yankees need to go at the front end to the Castillo? Do they need somebody at that level? Because we know what it's going to necessitate value-wise to get him or a Frankie Montas. Are they better suited, in your opinion, Sweeney, maybe a couple of smaller deals versus that one guy who might take a crux of maybe what you're willing to give in terms of farm and prospects? It really depends. I mean, I feel like they do need some more reliability in starting pitching. And, it, you know, at this time of year in the market, that's, you know, that's getting a star type of guy like Castillo, right? Um, they've... You know, they've had some guys who have started – like Jamison Tyon was probably the most disappointing one over the course of the last month and a half. And, um, like, that's a guy who looked so good and, you know, thought he was going to be an all-star at, in the beginning of June. And then he had a terrible month in June and carried into July, and it's really – it hasn't really gotten a lot better for him. So um, the fact that that's happened, that Luis Severino uh, is dealing with an injury, you know, that's cut into a lot of what – you know, is really the reason one one of the biggest reasons the Yankees are where they are is because their starting pitching has been outstanding all season long. Uh, they've struggled a little bit lately, so now there's this. Now you have to figure out what the you know what your solution is. Is it is it this little mid season dead arm period type of thing? Do they recover from that? Is it all the 
the um, you know, kind of the compilation of the COVID seasons of 2021, 20, kind of with the workload trying to, you know, is that coming to a head and maybe they're not going to recover as well and have, are they going to have poor second halves because of that? Um, those are situations that, you know, smarter people than you and me are trying yeah, to put sure. all the information into whatever, you know, whatever model they want and trying to figure it out. They're looking at saying, what's it going to get Luis Castillo and um, or Frankie Montas. And uh, if we do that, do we have to go get, you know, can we still go get Juan Soto? Or do we go to some other outfielder that we want? Uh, uh, or whatever like that, you know? So yeah, there are, I feel pretty though. I've seen, I've seen Brian churn over rosters, the deadline that were just contenders, not, you know, record in the league. Um, so when you have best record in the league and you have a chance to go for it, knowing that you got here with still some pretty significant holes in your roster, I'm pretty sure Brian Cashman is going to turn over this roster at the deadline. You know, you're going to see, you know, four, you know, out of 26 players, you, you can see four or five different players in here in a week, you know, and it's not unheard of, you know, and even guys that you felt pretty good, like Josh Donaldson is a really good defender right now. Um, his bat has not taken off. He had one good stretch, I think in May, early June, and then he got hurt again with the shoulder and it just hasn't really come back strong. So are there better options there? Um, Isaiah Cotter Falafa has made some key errors in spots. Now, the overall numbers, I guess, is fine for the you know position. Shortstops are going to make errors, but is it a place where you could get better? Is there an option to get better? I think you have to look at those things. So, yeah, there there are going to be moves, and I don't. And I think I think Yankee fans are, are generally fearful because when they when you get to this point in the season, they haven't made moves. You're like, oh my gosh, they're not going to. Like, you know, history tells me that they're going to. I one follow with that, and I'll let you run. And I appreciate all this time. I, I, what we go back to, as kids growing up, when you start, you know, really concentrating on the Yankees when we were young, you think about the pressure under George Steinbrenner, right? I remember reading the papers where I don't think people who are young that are Yankee fans now truly understand that you could open up a paper in the year post, there would be an article where George was apologizing to you as a fan for the team sucking. I mean, literally, like, nobody... I don't even... I think people think that's probably some urban legend, and it's not, as we know. The pressure, I'm curious, and, you know, the from the pulse that you have, what do you, what do you think that it is level-wise? Because as soon as it went to Hank and Hal, we didn't feel it as much, right? But you think about it, when you mentioned Chapman, I thought of the Brasso homer and the Rays taking them out. You think about a 60-game season where everyone thought if anyone is going to walk through this, it's the depth-laden Yankees, and they were gone, right? The Red Sox winning the World Series a couple of times since they were there, beating them in the postseason and playing New York, New York, as Aaron Judge, right? Is there a pressure level? It's not what George, it would have been crazy if he was still here, but is it higher than maybe we think even though we're not hearing about it vocally as much for them to do something with this team this year in October? I, yeah, I think so. Because if you think about it, you know, this is really just, uh, I figure out how to say this. This is, this is kind of the end of the run that started in 2017. You know, this is, you remember that was the baby bombers, right? You know, Brian Hoke wrote a book about it. right? Mm -hmm. um, um, that was Aaron judge's rookie of the year. That was Gary Sanchez, and you know you had Glaber Torres coming up the following year. You know this is these are this is the young, young Yankees ready to, you know, 
young Yankees win championships, you know, historically. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody, you know, every every star player you can think of that came up as a Yankee, with the exception of Don Mattingly and Thurman Munson, won championships within their first three, four years, multiple championships within their first like four, you know, Thurman ended up winning a couple later on. That was, you know, he came up in 70, they won in 77, 78. So he was a little bit older at that point. And Mattingly, as we know, never got to a world series, but every, you know, DiMaggio, Mantle, Barra, you know, Jeter, all those guys, right. Um, you're winning multiple championships in your first four or five years. Aaron judge is now in his sixth year. Gary Sanchez is gone. Glaber Torres is not far away from, you know, he, he's in arbitration now, not far away from making, this is what, 18, 19, 20, 21, 20. This is, you know, almost his fifth full season. So um, you're talking about trying to reach what what you haven't yet when as a historic, historically as a franchise, you know that, you know, it moves a lot faster than that. But, you know, a lot of things happened. Uh, the line isn't always straight up. Plus the, you know, the COVID seasons, I, I think changed everything for everybody dramatically. Now the Yankees have kind of recovered because remember 18 and 19, they won hundred plus games uh, and they just got knocked out by, you know, other teams that were really good. Cause that's allowed to happen too. You know, other teams are allowed to be good. Um, and, and they got beaten by, you know, world series champions um, in the or, you know, world series teams in those years. So you get through 18 and 19 and 20 happens. It's crazy. You know, 21, they just never got it together. They couldn't hit for whatever reason. You know, you want to talk about the ball coming back from the COVID season, whatever, a lot of different things. They, they never struck offensively like they are this year. Now everything's coming together again. So what you saw is the straight line. We thought case from 17, 18, 19 has now kind of jumped the track to 22. Right. Right. And, you're seeing, and now you're seeing that, um, you know, Aaron, Aaron Judge is, you know, three months away from being a free agent, and you better do something about winning right now with him. Um, and that's the pressure to me. That's the pressure of they started building something. I've said I've long said that, uh, you know, a Yankee fan who thinks that the next World Series is going to be followed by three or four more in a row is making a big mistake. The sport is not designed that way anymore. In fact, they started changing all the rules. After the Yankees last did this. That's correct. It's why the Giants couldn't do it, and they were one-on-one off, one-on-one off, one-on-one off three times. Yeah, and that even that is hard to do. Yeah. Okay? Like, that's – and the technicality, I don't know. I don't ever like referring to the Giants as a dynasty because you didn't defend your championship. I think you have to go back-to-back at some point to be called dynasty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but what they did was amazing. They're like lot. the San Antonio Spurs-ish is kind of like the comp I make, right? A little bit, yeah. Um, I think they were, they were amazing what they did. But the sport's not designed that way anymore. They, they, you know, they strive for what they call call competitive balance. I, I, I think it's, I think it's mislabeled. I think it's, you know, more, you know, uh, mediocrity at times than than competitive. Um, but I, I, I feel like, you know, that's the thing that we're looking at as we. Kind of try and judge the Yankees against their own history is that okay here come the Yankees and now here comes the next run no like like they you know 2009 was another good example they won a world series and then you know they went back to the ALCS you know two of the next three years but but you know then everybody got older and they had to start over again um this is going to be a weird little thing because you know you've got Aaron Judge is over 30 you know young you know, Yankee stars don't 
win their first championship in their 30s. So, you know, again, I'm sorry, really long winded way. Of me no, talking. it's you're yes. right because everything everything's in cycles, sweetie. And I know you got to appreciate all this time. I, I, I think about the Phillies, right, during the Ruben Amaro years. Those five years, right? Now, look, Yankees didn't win division titles all these years, but they, they got five division titles. They were in two World Series, won one right against Tampa, lost one of the Yankees, and then what? Then they hung on too long, but they disappeared, right? And now it takes a while, and you come back. You, you get, like, five-year stints. The Phillies did the same thing the Giants did, and the same thing the Yankees did, because once you win – with a group of players, there's Loyalty. a lot of pressure to keep those yeah. players and you have to resign them. And once you resign them, then it costs more money, which hurts your ability to go replenish the rest of your roster. And they get older. <laughs> you know, they, they continue to get older. That's just what happens. And at some point, you pay for it, like the Giants did, like the Phillies did, and, and the Yankees did. Even though they never had losing seasons to go with it, they managed to, you know, do a lot of other things around it. You know, but that's what happens. You, you, you know, Listen, ideally, the Tampa Bay model would be awesome, right? Where you just right. keep turning through a roster uh, and, and don't get attached to players uh, for different reasons. But the, the Giants, the Phillies, and the Yankees all are high revenue and high big market teams where they could afford to re-sign, you know, Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard and Paulo Sandoval and all those other guys, you know, and, and, and all the Yankees players, you know. But eventually that bill comes due. And, you know, that's what you see with these teams that – you hang on to your stars because they're your stars. That's where your brand was built and your fans are coming out to see those players, but they're also coming out to see them win and winning gets harder as they just, as the group gets older. Sweet. Appreciate you. It's amazing. Thank Case. you. Love Stay you, tuned Case. with the trade deadline at Casey Stern. Get me at unfiltered people and uh, keep uh, the unfiltered revolution going. Be well. Thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.